Welcome, this is John Murtha with WNZN Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. And we just had that opening uh, Marine Corps hymn, a salute to the armed forces as we celebrate Veterans Day tomorrow, October 11th. And again, very happy you tuned into the radio show today. And it's, uh, it's a good time to reflect on the fact that uh, we are a free country. You know, we just had the elections and the voting and the democracy and everything that goes into human freedom in America is, uh, many of it is because of the armed forces and the men that, and women that served our country for the past couple centuries to defend us and to protect us. And uh, we live in this land today, one nation under God. So having said that, I want us to look at the Bible and look at soldiers, particularly in the New Testament, and the lessons they might have for us even to this day. Uh, very interesting study, case study, as we look at these various soldiers in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and in the book of Acts. But again, this is WNZN Radio coming to you from Lorain, Ohio. That's 89.1 FM on the radio station. If you're having any difficulty or any static, you can live tune us and just go to your iPad and put in www.wnzn.org. That's wnzn.org. Uh, I know I can get it on my Alexa. You can get an iPad on your computer. You can stream it. But again, this uh, this is a great time. You know, I appreciate this station, WNCN, for allowing us the opportunity to share God's word and to and to just celebrate today this beautiful autumn day and the freedoms we share in this country, as we remember the veterans tomorrow on, on uh, November 11th. So, having said that, I want to get right into this and look at soldiers, soldiers as we see them. Uh, in the New Testament, and what lessons, uh, what insights might we uh, glean from their lives and their actions with our Lord and with the apostles. And the first one I want us to look at is actually in Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, and this is during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Now, just to set the scene here, we know that at the time of our Lord in the first century, that Israel, first of all, Israel is a rather small country. It wasn't like the surrounding countries like Egypt or Babylon or Syria and these other countries that were extremely powerful militarily and wealthy. And uh, actually, Israel was under an uh, occupying force. Roman Empire uh, was a vast uh, empire at that time. And one of their provinces or territories that they uh, were occupying was Israel. And so these soldiers weren't always viewed by the Jewish people with, with uh, any admiration. But nevertheless, we do have these lessons from the Bible that we can, uh, we can get some insight into some of the lives. At least some of these men, they were centurions, the one we was going to look at. And centurion uh, means an officer. And of course, any of you that are listening that may have been in the military, you know there's a difference between um, an officer and an enlisted man. An officer is usually the one in authority. He has the rank and he commands, uh, maybe it's a squad or a platoon, a company of battalion. And in the army, they go all the way up, or in the Marine Corps, all the way up to a major, a lieutenant major, a general, even a five-star general, which would be the highest ranking uh, military officer uh, in today's uh, army. But let's look at this in uh, Matthew chapter 8. This is the during the uh, earthly ministry of Jesus. And he has this encounter, rather interesting encounter, uh, in a city of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum, as you might remember, is in the north of the Galilee, Lake Galilee, and Jesus often used this as his headquarter town. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, 
Uh, he was raised, his childhood at least, was in uh, Nazareth. But he, quite a bit of his ministry, he actually resided in this, uh, what was called a coastal town uh, on the Sea of Galilee by the name of Capernaum. And that's where he's going to have this very interesting encounter. And it, uh, it says here in, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him. So he comes running to him. We don't know the, all the circumstances. But what's assumed at this time, of course, the reputation of Jesus has getting some coverage now. He's up in that northern region of the Galilee. He's done miracles. He's cast out demons. He's healed sick people. And, of course, uh, he's probably well-known, at least that he's a miracle worker at this time. And this soldier, a centurion, an officer in the Roman army, comes up to him and he says, Lord, my servant is lying at home. He's paralyzed. He's dreadfully tormented. So interesting that this man is very concerned with his servant. He is, even to the point he's willing to go out and, and seek the help of Jesus. And uh, he describes his servant as being very sick. He's paralyzed. He's tormented. Maybe he's got, um, we don't know, but I mean, you know, a fever, cramps, we don't know. And Jesus will respond to him in this Matthew chapter 8. And he says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, this is a remarkable statement coming from a Roman soldier. Now, he probably wasn't raised as Jewish people were with the Old Testament scriptures, with going to the temple, with understanding the law, understanding there's one God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, um, and all the commandments that God had given. That Probably this centurion knows very little of that. But what he does know, he understands spiritual power. And he understands that Jesus has the power to heal his servant. But instead of bringing him into the house, he says, I am not worthy. Now, I think this is a very important lesson for all of us, and that is humility. This centurion was humble. Now, if you understand the Roman Empire at that time, humility was not a virtue that was kind of uh, really looked up to. Rome was about power. It was about might. It was about strength. It was not about humility. And that's what we see this centurion expressing here. He says, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, he might be thinking, well, I'm a Gentile. And of course, Jesus is a Jew, a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, if you will, that he wouldn't come into the Gentile home because it would be considered unclean. But that's not what's going on here. He's saying, I'm just not worthy enough that you should come under my roof. And here he not only sees capacity for our Lord to do a miracle, but he might also sense the holiness of Jesus, um, that he's, he's not worthy that he should come into his house. He simply says, I just want you to speak a word and my servant will be healed. Just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Now this is a remarkable insight uh, that he has that Jesus could heal from a distance without even touching the sick patient, the servant of this, of this soldier. He says, then he goes on to explain, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. So this is a man under authority. 
And if you understand in the military, there's what they call a chain of command. When I was in the army, we had, uh, you know, we had a major, and then we had a captain, then we had a first lieutenant, a second lieutenant, and a sergeant. But each one of them had authority over the next group. And that way you can have order and you could go into battle if necessary. But you understood uh, who was above you in authority and who was below you that you could give orders to. So if you were a sergeant, you could give orders to privates, etc. So he understands this principle of authority, but he's applying it to Jesus. And he says, I'm a man under authority with soldiers underneath me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he's, he's, okay, he explains this principle of authority, but then he applies it to Jesus, uh, knowing that all he has to do is speak the word. So he must have insight in the supernatural power of Jesus to speak a word, and something is going to happen spiritually, even though he's not near the sick servant that he wants healed, that it can heal him. Now this, this really remarkable spiritual insight that this centurion has at this moment. And Jesus responds to that, and he says, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in all of Israel. So he, had, he, had, he, he admires this man's faith. He compliments that this man has this great faith. So what is faith? Well, faith, it says in the book of Hebrews, faith, I'm going to be quoting here from chapter 11 of Hebrews, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by the elders obtain good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But the key here is that faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Okay, that, that is really what this soldier is operating. He hasn't seen Jesus come and touch the servant to heal him, but he knows he has the faith of the unseen world that Jesus can speak or will the servant to be healed, and it's going to be done. Uh, it's quite remarkable. And by faith, it says again in Hebrews 11, we understand that the world's, the universe we see around us, was framed by the word of God. Now, we weren't there at the beginning of creation. We didn't see God do this, but by faith, we understand that is exactly what happened. By faith, we understand that we're surrounded by an unseen realm of angels and demons. By faith, we know there's a place called heaven. By faith, we know that we have a soul, even though we've never seen it. So as you read the word of God, it helps us to understand unseen things, invisible things. And this is where Jesus, of course, is operating. He's able to <laughs> do a miracle from a distance without even coming there. And that's what he's going to do. And that's why he commends this soldier when he says, um, truly, I, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. And he's, 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 he, this is a really hard statement to take for those that are around him. He's surrounded by a crowd. But he's saying this Roman, Gentile, maybe a superstitious or a pagan religion he believes in, he has enough faith to know that Jesus can heal him. And that's like today. We don't see Jesus in our midst today, physically, but it, with the Bible is very clear. Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says that in him, that is to say, God, we live and move and have our very being. 
He is very near to us, and we, even though we don't see him physically, uh, we operate in the realm of faith, just like this soldier did. But we have so much revealed to us by the Word of God, it tells us a whole lot about the invisible realm. It's very important, but I find it intriguing that Jesus commends his faith, and he's not a religious person. That is to say, he's not part of the house of Israel. He's probably not a, a worshiper of Jehovah God. Uh, but nevertheless, in this instance, he understands Jesus, he understands he has miracle power, and he can operate at a distance. So the first lesson we learn here from a soldier on this day before Veterans Day is this whole element of faith, the importance of having faith. Now, some people might think, well, you need a whole lot of faith to believe, but you really don't. You don't. Jesus often talked about a mustard seed. Even if you have a tiny bit of faith, you can operate with that. And that's the same way when we pray, we have faith based on God's word, that God hears every word we pray. God sees every thought we think. God knows the words we're going to speak before we speak them. So it's a very comforting thought to know, a little like that centurion soldier, that, boy, God hears my prayers. He cares for me. He has power to help me in my given situation, just like he helped the centurion back in that particular situation. So here we see the first instant of a soldier uh, in the scripture, the centurion, and he has a lesson that we can learn something from for our daily lives today. And so I would encourage you to see how can you increase your faith. Well, the Bible clearly says in Hebrews that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So again, going back to this soldier, he probably heard about Jesus. He probably heard he did miracles. He probably uh, heard that maybe he raised the dead or he uh, opened blind eyes. So he's operating on what he knows about Jesus, what he heard about Jesus, to apply to his life situation that day, uh, which was to heal his servant. So too, we, we get a lot more information about Jesus because we have the full Bible today. We have all the Gospels. We have all the epistles. So we can learn a lot about Jesus. We can learn a lot about God. And we could go to him much like this centurion did. And we can say, you know, Lord, can you help me? Lord, can you show me in this particular situation what I do? Or maybe you can say, Lord, please save me. Maybe you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ and you're looking to, to, uh, to do that. You can do that even to this very day. The Bible clearly says, to as many as received him. To them he gave the power to become a child of God. That's in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. So uh, whether you're a believer, you've been a Christian for many years, maybe you're a new believer, you just uh, became a Christian uh, the recent months of this year, or maybe you are undecided, but for some reason you're listening to this radio program and you're hearing these words and you're thinking, boy, I, I never really exercised faith. I never thought about it, but this this man's life was completely changed because his servant was completely healed that day. And that's what Jesus does. He transforms lives. He will utterly transform your life and my life if you have this encounter and simply reach out to him by faith. So let's look at another uh, one of these examples of uh, a soldier that believes or exercises faith. And maybe he can... Uh, we can see a couple things here that uh, applies to our lives today. And it's in Matthew 27, whereas what we just looked at was the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and now we're going to look at the end of his ministry on this earth. And this is at his crucifixion. And uh, we all know the story, basically, of what happened to our Lord. 
He was betrayed by Judas. He went through several different trials, three religious trials, three civil trials by the Roman government. Uh, he was whipped. He was scourged. He was spat upon. Uh, he was crowned with a crown of thorns. Uh, he was made to carry the cross, at least the cross beam. Uh, so heavy he felt carrying under the weight of it. And he finally makes it to the place of the crucifixion. And there he's stripped and he's nailed. Uh, his feet, his hands are nailed to the cross. And then he will be on that cross for six hours. Interestingly enough, uh, it's one of the longest uh, uh, capital punishment uh, executions in terms of time frame that man has ever invented. Most, if you study capital punishment, most capital punishments worldwide, I mean, whatever the device might be, whether it's um, uh, the gas chamber, the electric chair, firing squad, hanging, guillotine, um, inje uh, lethal injection, usually it's less than five minutes. The uh, uh, criminal is executed from start to finish. The execution usually lasts less than five minutes before it's administered and the uh, victim or the criminal is declared dead. But Jesus, it was six hours he would suffer, which really is, gives us all pause to think that he did that. He committed nothing wrong. He was totally innocent. Even these people that were convicted him, Pilate and others, says, I found nothing wrong with this man. Nevertheless, he was completely innocent, guiltless, but he did it on behalf of you. He did it on behalf of me that our sins might be cleansed through the shedding of the blood, as the Bible says. And it says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And when you really think of Jesus on that cross, dying in that manner, and again, he told Peter, he says, I could call to my heavenly Father, he'd send down 12 legions of angels, and I would never have to go to the cross. Uh, they would, you know, he was, it was willingly, he says, I, nobody takes my life from me. I give it willingly. And that's what happened. And if you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, three times Jesus would pray to his father, if there be any way, take this cup of suffering from me. And of course, at the end, he would say, not my will, but thy will be done. And then, of course, we see he's on the cross. It's going to be the sixth hour. Uh, he was from, but from the sixth hour, which is noon, till the ninth hour, there's complete darkness. It's complete darkness over the land. And um, he finally will say, he gives up the ghost. He just says, uh, Eli, Eli, Labak, Samak, Timi. He says, my God, my God, why has you forsaken me? And in the other gospel, it says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he dies. And then, of course, there's an earthquake. And... Um, but the soldiers around him will say this in Matthew chapter 27. It says, So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw uh, what had happened, they, they, they felt the earthquake, the things that truly had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. So you have again, you have this Roman soldier. He's confessing Jesus is the Son of God. And he, what is he basing that on? Well, now, again, he's probably heard a lot about Jesus because he might have been there at the trial. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem at this time because of the Passover. Jesus had just recently raised Lazarus from the dead. So he probably has heard a lot about Jesus, you know, that he healed the sick, he fed 5,000. But all he might have seen up to this time 
was his, his, his trial and his uh, torture and the crucifixion. But uh, based on that evidence, he's willing to say that this is uh, the Son of God. This is remarkable because look at the evidence, but if he's at the foot of the cross, he's seen some interesting things. Number one, the first thing he probably heard was Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Here we see Jesus with nails in his hands and a crown of thorns on his head saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. He's offering forgiveness and asking forgiveness for his enemies, for people that just put nails in his hand that spat upon him. Uh, so he, the centurion heard that, okay? Then he would hear Jesus giving care of his Mary, his mother, into the, into the care of John the Apostle, who was nearby. So we see even in his own pain and anguish, he's looking over his family responsibility. The care of his mother would go to the apostle he loved, John, who was, who was there at the base of the cross. And then he would, he would hear uh, Jesus say to the, the, the repentant thief who was crucified alongside Jesus when he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, this day you will be with me in paradise. So he heard that, that Jesus, he may not fully understood it, but he understood that Jesus was reaching out, so to speak, and accepting this repentant prayer of a thief who was dying, just had minutes to live, when he asked Jesus uh, an incredible statement. He says, Lord, he, he knows Jesus is, is Lord. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He understands Jesus is a king. He has a kingdom. He has, there's an afterlife. And of course, Jesus assures him he's forgiven and he will enter into that afterlife with Jesus and be in heaven with him. So the centurion at the foot of the cross is hearing this, he's seeing this, and then he, they all experience these three hours of darkness. Now that's, I mean, that is, that is incredible, that it's, it's noontime, sixth hour in Jewish time, and all of a sudden, everything goes dark. It's dark as night, okay? And so for three hours, the people are there at the cross, they don't know what's going on. But they understand, or he probably perceives, this is something spiritual. It's something very important. I better be somewhat fearful of this. This may be God. I mean, it's God that controls the sun and the moon and the stars. But he's allowed this three-hour of darkness. A, cur a curtain of darkness has been brought over the land. And uh, he's probably fearful. And then, then Jesus finally gives up the ghost. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And at this time, the ground shakes beneath him. There's an earthquake. It says, uh, when they were standing there, um, there was this earthquake. Uh, things are shaking. So you have the sky is turned dark. The earth is, is knocked out of its place. It's shaking all around. And there's an earthquake, a tremor, whatever. And this centurion puts this all together. And he says, he makes this incredible statement. He says, truly, this is the Son of God. So here's the second centurion, the second soldier we see in the Gospels, that he acknowledges that Jesus is, is not only somebody special, not only somebody spiritually powerful, but he actually will name him the Son of God, just based on that information that he has. Now, this is even before the resurrection. So you can imagine where we position today, uh, how much more evidence we have, you and me, as we look at the whole account of the life of Jesus, how it fulfilled prophecy, how he did all these miracles, how he gave us some of the most beautiful teachings ever, 
the parables, the parable of the prodigal son. He gives us the Our Father prayer. Uh, incredible, you know, uh, we live by it today. Western civilization is based uh, upon this man, you know, the morals he brought to our, our culture and to our civilization about we're made in the image of God. Every life is precious, uh, that we should help care for the poor and the needy. And all of these things, where do they come from? Well, it's based on this, this book, the Judeo-Christian revelation of the Bible, more specifically on the person of Jesus Christ. So we have so much more evidence than this centurion had, and we live at the other side of the, of the cross, but also with the empty grave. See, he didn't, this soldier probably thought, okay, the body's going to be taken off the cross and put in a grave. He didn't realize three days later, he rises from the grave. So we know that by reading the scripture. We know that if you go to Jerusalem today, there's an empty grave at the Church of the Holy Sepulcher where Jesus was placed for three days. It's empty. You know, it's empty. <laughs> and that that's what Jesus says, destroy this temple, I'll raise it in three days. And that uh, he's the only religious leader, uh, if you study the Buddha or Muhammad or Confucius or anybody else, they are in a grave, in a monument somewhere. You know, their bodies are there, but not Jesus, it's empty. And that's very important that we understand now his death, his burial, his resurrection. And of course, after he's on the earth, then for 10 more days after he rises from the dead, he will ascend to heaven. And the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father. But nevertheless, uh, incredible what this centurion was able to figure out and this, this statement that he's going to make about Jesus being the Son of God. And then now you consider our own situation, uh, how much evidence we have today to make that same statement, not just to make an intellectual statement, to make a statement of belief that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for you and he died for me and that by receiving him, believing upon that, you can have new life in Christ. That's what I did when I was 27 years old. It completely changed my life. Interestingly enough, I had been a soldier uh, during the Vietnam War. I was a medic and I was stationed in Thailand and my brother was in uh, Vietnam. He did two tours of duty. He was with the 1st Air Cavalry. I was a medic in Thailand. And that's where a lot of the support bases were. But I wasn't a believer at the time. I had been raised going to church. I was, uh, you know, sang in the choir and did these kind of things. But I was not a Christian. You know, I, I was religious, but I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't know him. I knew about him, but I didn't know him. I certainly didn't know him as my Savior. I didn't know him as my Lord. It would be three years after I came back from the army. I was discharged from the army, came home, and some people were sharing the, the, the Bible message, what we call the gospel, the good news, with me in Cleveland, Ohio. And then they led me to salvation, what it meant to turn my back on my old way of life, to repent, and by faith receive Jesus Christ. And he completely changed my life forever, for the good. I mean, I've never been the same. And that's been... Uh, I don't know, 25, well, about 47 years ago, 47 years ago. I never look back. I just thank God to this day. But like the centurion, I was a soldier. He was an officer. I wasn't an officer. But nevertheless, I was a soldier in need of a savior like all of us are. But that was my experience. And so I kind of identify with these soldiers in the Bible. Uh, you know, they're away from home. They have different uh, belief systems of their own. And, um, but nevertheless, we see these guys coming to believe. So let's look at one more. And this one I really like, uh, the example he gives to us. And it's in Acts chapter 12. Acts of the Apostle chapter 
I'm sorry, chapter 10. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 10, if you're following along. And again, this is another centurion, uh, a Roman soldier, a Roman officer in the army. Uh, he's living in Israel at this time. Probably has uh, maybe 100 men, 100 soldiers beneath him. That's where we get the word centurion, where we get the word century, which means 100. So he's, he's probably in charge of at least 100 men or more. And again, he's in a different city. He's not in... Uh, Capernaum, he's over on the coast of the Mediterranean in Israel at a place called Caesarea. And it says there was a certain, I'm in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the Italian regiment. He was, now look at this man. He's a devout man. He fears God with his whole family. He gives alms or he gives to the poor and he prays to God regularly. That's just in two verses. We find out a lot about this guy. He, number one, okay, we know he's Italian. We know he's a soldier. We know he's an officer. But we know he's a devout man. Devout to who? We don't know because we're going to see in a minute he's in need of a savior. He needs to hear the gospel. But he, he was probably had an understanding of God and he, and he was maybe fearful of God. It says he fears God and his whole family. So it seems like he's teaching his children or his wife and children or uh, cousins or uncles, who's ever with them in that particular city when he's stationed there as a soldier. But he also gives to the poor. It says he gives alms and he prays regularly. He prays um, on a daily basis. And it also talks later on in this uh, very chapter that he fasts. He, that is to say he fasts. So we see he prays, he fears God, he gives to the poor, he teaches his family about God as much as he knows, and that he um, he fears God singular. He doesn't fear the gods. Back then, many gods, people believed in many gods, polytheism, but he believes in a one God. But um, so in a sense, this man is going as far as his spiritual headlights will take him. You know, he's doing everything he can do. Now, why I find this so interesting is because when you study the Islam, you'll find out that these are the characteristics or the pillars of the Islamic faith. That is to say, fear God, singular God, um, pray regularly five times a day, give alms, um, fast often, that's what's happened you know, in Ramadan. And then uh, all of these qualities are often found in, in, a, in a Muslim person that's really seeking God. And again, I say it's monotheistic, it's a singular God. But... What happens here is very interesting. He has a dream. He has a vision. It says about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And he said, what is it, Lord? So he said, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa, that's another city, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, and he will tell you what you must do. So he was, he, he's praying earnestly. He's doing everything he can do to know about God, to serve God. And God gives him a vision or a dream. And he's saying, look for this man named Peter that's living in this other coastal city, which is known as Joppa. I think I'm going to say it's about, a, it's about 100 miles away south of uh, where he's living in, in Caesarea. And so Peter, at the, again, many people, particularly in the Middle East, are having dreams and visions where they see the person of Jesus or they hear the gospel message or God is revealing himself to them in a very special way 
the same thing that he is doing here with Cornelius. God's revealing himself to him in a very special way. He's using a vision and a dream. Now, same chapter 10 in Acts of the Apostles says, The next day they went on their journey and drew near the city. Peter went to the housetop to pray. Now, this is a different city. It's Joppa, about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and wanted to eat. While he, they made ready, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object of a great sheet come down with the four corners descending before him. On it were all kinds of four-footed animals, beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice called to him and says, Rise, Peter, kill. And he says, Peter says, No, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And the voice spoke to him again and said, What God is clean, you must not call common. And what God is doing here with Peter, now he's getting a vision, and what he's basically saying is, Peter, uh, do not view anybody as unclean. Do not view anybody not worthy to hear the gospel. Paul, Peter's thinking, oh, these are animals. I'm Jewish. I keep kosher. I shouldn't partake of this. But we're going to see there's a bigger meaning to this vision that he's seeing here. And he's told, and by that time, these people come to him from Cornelius. They knock on the door and he says, okay, I'm going to go see him. Now, we have to understand, Peter, very Jewish, keeper of the law, uh, understands the Old Testament. He is separated from Gentiles. They keep a distance from the Gentiles because number one, they don't eat the same food. They, it's unclean. Gentiles don't keep kosher. They don't keep ritual uh, Jewish laws. None of these kinds of things. And they don't usually respect the God of Israel. But God says, I want you to go to see this man. And so another barrier here, he's a Roman and he's a soldier. Uh, all of these things work against Cornelius here in the gospel. But it's like today, we should think that nobody is beyond hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Whether the person uh, is, is an atheist, a Buddhist, a Muslim, a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness, uh, maybe he believes in uh, spirits or whatever, it doesn't matter. People all people have the need to and the right to hear the gospel. And we as believers, if you're a Christian and you have an understanding of the scriptures, we have a responsibility to share this gospel, this good news with other people who don't look like us, don't think like us, might have different belief systems. But we should at least go to them when we have the opportunity and to share with them maybe what happened to you or what happened to me. And just say, here's what happened to me. Here's how my life changed as a result of this. And so we can, we can do that uh, when we come to these uh, people that come like Cornelius from different belief systems. Uh, but again, I find it very interesting that he was a very religious man, prayed often, gave money to the poor, had his family thinking about God and respecting and fearing God, but he needs somebody to take the gospel to him. I think today there are many religious people, people that maybe go to church or they might give to the poor, they have a certain understanding of God, and they might live a moral life, but they never committed their life to Jesus Christ. They've never been, like Jesus said to a religious man, Nicodemus, when he came to him, he says, you must be born again. You must, you must be born again. That is to say, you must turn, you repent from your old way of life, turn from your, your old self and sin, and turn and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And he promised you, Anyone that comes to him, sincerely, he will in no wise refuse. In other words, he's, he's not going to turn you away. It'll say in the book of Revelation, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, 
I will come in and sup with him. In other words, have union, uh, uh, fellowship with that person. And again, back to my own testimony, that's what happened to me when I turned my life over and, and the Holy Spirit came into my heart and he, and he changed me. He gave me power over sin. He, gave, he illuminated my mind that I could finally understand the Bible. I could understand what the scripture was saying. Taught me how to pray. I've seen miracles happen in my life. I've seen people's lives transformed uh, on and on. And not only that, uh, when we leave this planet, these short years we have on this life, uh, we go to be a better place. That's why they'll say in the scripture, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or nor has we seen the thing, the great things God has prepared for those that love him. The best is yet to come, I'm saying, uh, for a believer uh, to, to go into the very presence of God when you die. It's amazing. So now Peter's going to go to this man, and he's going to say, um, he gives him the gospel that says in this same chapter, it says, then Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I perceive that God shows no partiality. In other words, he's not a respecter of persons. He says, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. So he's not going to, he's not going to share with them about Jesus. That word you know, which proclaimed throughout all Judea, began from Galilee after the baptism John preached. God anointed Jesus by the Holy Spirit with power, who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things, which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a tree. In other words, crucifixion. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. So that you have to believe Jesus died. He comes to the Son of God, dies on the cross, buried in the grave, raised up, raised up from death on the third day, uh, not to all people, but to witnesses. In other words, there's eyewitnesses to that, to see that happen. And then he commands us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. And as a result of this, the Holy Spirit comes down on Cornelius, this Roman centurion. He receives salvation. And uh, then it says uh, they were baptized, his whole household, and after they received the Holy Spirit, and they were changed. Now, you can imagine the amount of people this man's life probably changed after that. I mean, he's a Roman centurion, and he's probably going around and telling people that now he's a Christian, now he's serving the Lord, and Jesus is his Savior. So we're looking at these three soldiers this day before we celebrate Veterans Day tomorrow uh, that gave, uh, you know, that lived 2,000 years ago in this place, remote part of the world at that time, which was called Israel, under the uh, rule of the uh, Roman Empire. And lives were changed dramatically. And it's the same way where we stand here today. Uh, what, what, what would you do with Jesus you know, when you consider the claims of Christ? And as a result of this, Jesus, Jesus tells us clearly that we can grow uh, in knowing him and uh, have that spiritual power he wants to give to each one of us. And then when you go on from there, you'll see that there's this military kind of uh, metaphor that's used in this scripture to tell us that we're in a spiritual battle. You know, we're in a spiritual battle. And as believers, as good soldier, we are to put on the full armor of God. And we see that in Ephesians 6. You know, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual entities in high places. The idea being that 
you look around, um, the Bible clearly says that the, the, this world lies in darkness. It, it, it says our, uh, before we come to Christ, our eyes are blinded, our spiritual eyes are blinded. But once we accept the Lord, then we come to understand that uh, we're no longer dead in our trespass and sin, and we're no longer under the control of the devil. You know, people don't realize how the devil controls their lives. One reason he, one thing he does is he keeps them away from the light of the gospel. He keeps them away from church. He keeps them away from other believers. All kinds of ways. You know, he gets things in front of them that are going to lead them astray, and that's a terrible thing. But the Bible says now, as a as a as a believer, he says in Ephesians chick, uh, chapter 6, I'm using this same soldier metaphor we've been working with. Uh, chapter 6, he says now, uh, verse 10 of Ephesians, Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So in other words, you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now we're admonished here to be strong in the Lord. Well, how can we be strong in the Lord? How can we live a, 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 a upright Christian life? not only to overcome temptation and sin, uh, maybe drugs and alcohol and pornography and all that, but even as important as all that is, but also to be a witness, to be a shining light to others, uh, to share the good news when people come up to you and say, boy, what happened to you? You're so different. You're not like you were before. And well, those are opportunities for you to share what happened to you, just like what Jesus did to Cornelius way back then, 2,000 years ago in Acts of the Apostles. You've been changed You've been transformed by the power of God. And then you have that opportunity to share that. Because why? Jesus wants all of us to walk in a certain level of victory, a certain level of power, uh, and not, not to fear, uh, not to fear, uh, you know, how people can hurt us, not to fear death. You know, these things are inevitable. But it, because we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, we, he takes away a lot of these fears that a lot of people are bound up with. We live in a day and age where people are extremely fearful. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of confusion. You know, what's coming next? But through Jesus Christ, we have an assurance. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Not only that, he wants us to walk in victory. And victory means to live a righteous life and to lead many people to Christ and to help those people grow. Just like this station does, WNZN Radio. You know, it's a platform to help people hear the faith, hear the gospel, uh, to enjoy praise and worship music and to hear testimonies. So it's a great thing, you know, that, that God is using this radio station uh, out of Lorain, Ohio, to really go wide and far because it's not just where the radio waves are reaching, it's also on Facebook and blogs and all of these um, messages are archived. Uh, mine are all archived on uh, www.john1421 john1421.com. You can get all our messages and interviews that with the guests we've had over the years. But I want to start wrapping this up and I want to talk about soldiers again and keep that theme going. And here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brothers, be he's speaking to believers, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Um, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles or the strategy of the devil. So he's saying, put on this armor. There's a real enemy out there. He's called the devil. He says again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now here he clearly says, you, there's a spiritual realm. We're surrounded by a spiritual realm. It's occupied by angels, but it's also occupied by demon forces. So when you see these movies 
about demons and, and fallen angels. And this stuff is real. I'm not saying the movies get it all right, but there is an unseen realm that is trying to influence our daily lives and trying to lead people astray and lead people into more and more darkness. Um, but he's saying these are controlling spirits and the Bible shows us how to overcome these things. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, this is military language. Take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Well, evil day, when's the evil day? Well, every day can be an evil day because you're exposed to temptation. Every day can be an evil day because people are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. Every day can be an evil day because there's people that are, are getting themselves more and more in bondage uh, to bad habits and to sin and, and to addictions. Uh, but we are children of light. We can stand in the evil day. He says that, having done all to stand. And so you think of a Roman soldier taking his firm stand because he has all the right armor on and nobody's going to move him. And he says, number two, stand therefore, having uh, girded your waist. In other words, you, you, you put on like a tool belt, like a, a policeman or an army man has on a weapons belt, put on this belt with the truth. So the key here is the truth. He says he wants you to be armed with truth. Why? Because enemy, the devil's biggest weapon is a lie, is a lie. And the biggest weapon against a lie is the truth. And when you study the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by Satan, Satan would tempt him and says, if you're the son of God, make these stones be bread. And Jesus says, men shall not live by the bread alone, but by every word uttered by the mouth of God. He's reciting truth. He's reciting a Bible passage from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy. Same thing he says, well, if you'll jump from this temple mount, I will, I will, I will, God will give his angels to come and lift you up. And he goes, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You know, he uses scripture again. You use truth against lies. Well, what kind of lies are we facing today? Lies like, um, oh, all of the, everything you see in the universe just came about as an explosion. And it just happened to randomly all assemble itself together in the way we see it today with the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, uh, squirrels and insects and human beings. All that just happened uh, by accident, by a big bang. That's a lie. It happened because God is a creator and he created in a very orderly fashion, which you can read about in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Another lie is that man is just a higher form of an animal. We've not evolved from an animal. The Bible clearly says that man and women are made in the image of God. God fashioned man, first man, out of clay and then he breathed into him. That's why we're unique. We're different. We're special than the animals. You know, we, we speak. We can communicate abstract thought. We can, we can create music. We can draw art. We build things. Um, we know it's wrong to hurt other people. We have a conscience. All of these things tell, tell this the truth, gleaned from God's word. And, but it's, there's lies out there that are telling people otherwise. Another lie is um, don't worry what happens to you after you die. You know, that, that's, that's wrong. We should be extremely concerned what's going to happen when we die. And that's why Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? I mean, what good is that? You know, you, you become extremely wealthy. You're a celebrity. Uh, you might be famous and all of this other stuff, and you die, and you go to hell. I mean, what, 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 what was it worth? You know, nothing. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his soul? Jesus says, if your right hand offends you and leads you to hell, cut it off. Better to go into heaven or paradise with, with one hand 
than to go into hell with both hands. In other words, he's using poetic language, hyperbole, exaggeration, by saying whatever it is that's leading you away from God, get rid of it. Stop those patterns and habits of sin and all these other things. And you can do that once you come to Jesus Christ and he empowers you by the Holy Spirit and you have the word of God to guide you. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a light unto our path, okay? It's a lamp unto our feet. It'll guide us like a compass through this world. Um, so that's a lie. Uh, that's why he says, be girded back here in Ephesians chapter 6 with the waist of the, the, um, the belt of uh, truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, the breastplate is like a flak jacket today you know, that soldiers wear in the battle. And, and so if you get shot in the chest, you, you want to protect your heart. He says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so what we want to do here is protect our heart. What are we letting into our heart? Motives and emotions. It says in Proverbs, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the very issues of life. And then, um, so you got to really protect your heart. Uh, what, what are you letting in? Uh, you know, the Bible says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, or Paul says in Philippians, think on these things, whatever is good and noble and just and pure. Those are the things you want to put in, not the, all the evil things that are in the world today that are seeking to gain entry into our heart and into our mind. Then he says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, he's saying here, just like soldiers, their boots are extremely important, what they wear. Our feet, our shoes, so to speak, should be prepared with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, we should be able to move with that. We, wherever we walk, we should take the gospel with us. We could share it with somebody. We could explain it to somebody. We could help new believers. It's because we've prepared, just like we're wearing these, you know, these, these shoes, so to speak, wherever it carries us. So too, uh, there's too many of us as believers, we just don't have enough of the scriptures. Not only don't we have a firm faith of our own, uh, but we, we have a hard time sharing it with others because we don't know how firmly we believe what we believe. Uh, that's why, you know, you, you're not going to just live. A baby cannot survive just on milk alone as he grows into his teenage and young adult year. You need, you need strong meat. You need protein. So to it as Christians, we need to know the Word of God. We, know, we need to understand it. We need to ex explain it. And we might have to defend it sometimes. We, that's why it's saying here, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel, the gospel of peace. And then finally, he says, above all things, take the shield of faith with which you are able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. And here we're going to see um, that the shield of faith, again, it's something we put up when the enemy wants to shoot fiery darts. So if you have a if you if you become a believer, you're a Christian and you get a thought that you're not forgiven. Or you get a thought, uh, can God really use me? Or is God going to answer prayer? Those are like fiery darts. Well, when a fiery dart comes at you, you put up the shield of faith. And you, and you say, let's say the, you have a doubt that you're a child of God, that, you, that God forgave you. Well, you go to the scripture and it says, um, uh, uh, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the truth. That's the truth, that the shield of faith can repel those uh, uh, flaming arrows of dark. Or it says, uh, do you think God can really hear your prayer? Well, the Bible clearly says that God knows our prayers even before we ask him. He even tells us to pray to him. He says, up to this point, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that you might receive. The Bible says in the book of James, we have not because we ask not. So oh, these are all promises 
built on faith that you can hold up that shield. Too many, again, believers are walking around with fiery darts stuck in them that are causing them to live a, a, a weakened life, you know, a defeated life. But we're getting instruction here as a soldier how to put on the uh, right uh, armor, the right weaponry, if you will. We're being weaponized here to live a victorious life. He says, so take the shield of faith, which you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Where are these fiery darts coming from? They're coming from the enemy. They're, coming, they're being shot at us. They're coming at us from the enemy. And then he says, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, interestingly enough, as a soldier, the sword is the only offensive weapon they have. The other weapons, the, the, the shield, the, um, the breastplate, the shoes, the boots, these are all offensive, right? I mean, uh, defensive. But this is, this is sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And see why it's so important to have the sword of the spirit. It cuts through things. It cuts through. So if somebody comes to you and says, uh, Jesus isn't God. He's just a, a great prophet. Well, you know that you know the Word of God says clearly in the in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. So you're using the Word to cut through these arguments and belief systems that are coming against the Christian faith. You see, so as you the better you know the Word of God, the better you can use the sword of the Spirit, and it cuts through arguments, it cuts through false teachings and all kinds of stuff. And that's why it'll say in Hebrews chapter 4, the word of God is sharp and powerful, and it's even sharper than any two-edged sword, even cutting deeply and, and dissecting even our thoughts and the hearts and the, the motives of the heart. So it can cut right to the heart. And, and uh, that's what we do when we have uh, the, the sword. You know, And the sword must be sharpened. We must use it and study the word of God and the scriptures and go to a church that teaches and preaches from the Bible, you know, the Word of God. Uh, but it's a sword. In my, my, in my experience is too many of us Christians are using a, <clears throat> pardon me, are using a pocket knife. That's, that's all. We know a little scripture here. We know some of the parables. We know some of the, maybe Psalm 23. We know a little bit of the Bible, like what I call a little pocket knife. But we, we, it's a sword. It's not a little pocket knife. It's a sword. And we live in a world today, we have to be well armed. Uh, we need to know how to use the sword of the the sword of the Lord. We must know the Word of God. We must understand how it all ties together. The relationship between the Old Testament and New Testament, all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled from a thousand years before he was even born. Uh, we must understand the impact that the Bible has on people, on culture, on society. Uh, when you look at the, the impact it's had on hospitals and clinics and orphanages and uh, literacy, as well as art and music all through the ages. It's powerful. It's extremely powerful. And God has given it to each one of us. God has given it to each one of us. So in closing, again, uh, you know, tomorrow is the start of uh, Veterans Day and the start of a beautiful autumn weekend here in Ohio. And I just thank you again for tuning in. I thank God for this station, uh, WNZN 89.1 FM radio. And uh, thank you for... Uh, listening. And uh, in the days to come, we have some special guests coming up in the coming weeks. I think you're going to be very interested in some of the things that they have to say and to share. We've had guests now coming from all parts of the world, all different types of ministry and projects that they're involved in. And uh, 
these are the kinds of things we like to do. And, and hopefully, uh, as we go more and more through the year, we're going to make it where you can actually call us if you have questions or you want to add something to some of the things we've been sharing. So having said that, I want to ask you all to have a blessed uh, Veterans Day. Remember that uh, we do uh, live in a land that we can just uh, trouble problems. Yes, we're not perfect. But as Americans, we seek a more perfect union. We seek to move toward that more perfect union. We're the only country in the world that will say in its opening constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and we have a God-given right uh, for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We are one nation under God, and God truly has blessed America. Despite problems and issues and things we have, we just thank God for this country. We thank God for the veterans that served and, and, and more importantly, those that laid down their lives and lost their lives or limbs on our behalf that we can share, even have this free radio station today. So I want to close in a prayer for each one of you. May God abundantly bless you as you uh, listen to the word of God throughout this day, maybe at your church on Sunday. Maybe there's some out there that have not yet made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. I would implore you, uh, to take this moment to consider the claims of Jesus Christ in the gospel, just as Peter presented to us Roman soldiers 2,000 years ago, and his whole family was changed as a result of that. So we seek your blessing upon our lives. We seek your blessing, O Lord, upon our country, that we can truly be one nation under God and have liberty and justice for all. We thank you, Lord, for our many, many blessings as we come into this Thanksgiving uh, month. We're going to give thanks for all of your bountiful blessings to us. And again, Lord, thank you uh, for everything you've given to us. Most especially, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and uh, crucified on a cross, shed his blood for us that we might have eternal life with you. Thank you for all of these things, Lord. And I ask a special blessing on our listeners this morning. And uh, we commit our day and our time into your hands for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.